uh, Rick and let's pray for Rick as he brings God's word as well. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word, for the power and authority we find within it from you, and we pray that as Rick shares what you've given him, uh, that we would hear from you, our Heavenly Father. I don't know about you, but I was really hyped for Father and Tim to go, and here is that chicken. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to read from, uh, first of all, from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 14, um, starting at verse 1, then jumping to verse 7. Uh, to Luke 14, um, and it's 147 if you're on church Bibles, if you've got them, page 147. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Then we jump to verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked up a place of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man a seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid, or you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When I must admit, when I first saw this text, I thought, how am I going to tie this into a baptism of COC? And I'm, I'm not sure if I can very well, but, but there are things here that I hope will connect with parents and godparents and things towards the end. So to give some context here, and we're taking this from the church being lecturing, that's why we're missing out in the middle verses. But Jesus has been invited um, to the home of a prominent religious leader. And most of the other guests would have been prominent religious people as well. And they've invited him not because they want to necessarily hear from him or hear his wisdom or his anointing, but they want to examine him. They want to critique what he got to say because they don't really believe him that he is who he says he is. And so while they are carefully watching him, the Bible says, he is also observing them. And what he sees them is these religious leaders vying for places of honour at the table. And uh, it doesn't really work the same in our culture, I don't know if it does in Samoan culture or uh, your culture where you've been to Barbara. But um, if we get invited to a banquet, I haven't been invited to many banquets, to be honest. But it's not often that you get allocated a seating arrangement according to your social status. Okay, you might go to a wedding where the top table of the wedding is the family, but then everybody else is mixed around, aren't they? But in Jesus' day, it was very much like that. 
If you are hosting an event for religious people or political people, the closer you sat to the host was the more prestige, the more status you had. So that there was this jockeying for position, it's like a game of chess. You think, if I move here, then I'm above that person's status, but I'm below this person, so maybe I can move up to here. And you see, it's kind of like a game of chess where you're all trying to work out how do I trade off my position, what I think of myself, with what other people think of themselves. And Jesus was observing this, and in effect he was saying, um, you've got it all wrong. And I guess in some ways this might not seem relevant to us in 21st century UK. Um, this example of how people get status and how um, maybe their desire for ambition is reflected. But there are a lot of things in our culture um, where we do have a desire to um, show what status we are. Um, it might be what car we drive, it might be the house or the area we live in, it might be who our friends are, it might be what our job is, it might be how many friends we have on social media, how many likes we have to the posts that we have, how many views we have on Instagram. And none of those things are wrong in themselves, but what's dangerous is when it's the desire the affirmation that those things bring which can control us. Whether it's whether those things dictate whether we feel loved, accepted, recognized, or rejected, or overlooked, according to how many likes we have, according to what car we drive. And so Jesus is warning them, the religious leaders, if you're going to exalt yourself, if you're going to push yourself forward, if you're going to make yourself seem more important than you actually are, so that you feel better than yourself, then be very wary that you're heading for a fall. And he uses this phrase, whoever exalts himself will be harmed. But whoever who takes on a lower position will be exalted. So he's saying, rather instead cultivate, cultivate an attitude of humility. Be willing to know, be known for who you really are, not just what other people think of you. And that actually brings ultimate freedom. To be known for who we are, and to be the same person when nobody can see us as when we're standing in front of a church of 60 people. That's a challenge. There's a quote that Sarah and my wife reminded me of that I heard many years ago from an old missionary, and it was this. Maturity is having nothing left to prove. That was Michael Ross Watson. Maturity is having nothing left to prove. And humility, as Jesus describes it here, is something similar. Humility is being the same person when you're in a room on your own as when you're standing in front of other people. That you are completely comfortable with who you are. And it's then having and the maturity to have nothing left to prove for people. And I guess that is a challenge to all of us. None of us are completely the same. None of us are completely authentic. We all have things that we project because we want people to like us. We want people to accept us. 
I was reminded of it as I was doing this in a story in, in Matthew chapter 20. And it's where the mother of two of the disciples come to Jesus. And it's a kind of a weird request. She says to them, can these two boys of mine, James and John, when you go back to heaven, when you go in glory, can one of them sit on your left hand or one of you sit on your right hand? It's kind of peculiar. And the, re- the other disciples are absolutely furious and indignant with James and John for asking them. And it's, it's really, it's the ultimate thing of status, isn't it? We, we can all want status in the world and the things I've mentioned, but to actually have that status of being able to sit next to God himself, well, that's a big question. That's a big request. The ultimate status symbol. And Jesus answered them in this way. He gathers the 12 disciples together, so the, t- the two and the other 10. And he said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. So that's the political and religious leaders. So that's their political leaders. And their great ones are tyrants over them. And I'm sure he was thinking of Herod's family. It will not be so among you. For whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus later went on to give an example of what that looks like between brothers and sisters when he he bowed down and he washed his disciples' feet. And ultimately, his him taking the place of a servant, of a slave, of going to the cross for us, willing to die a, a humiliating death. Because the Son of Man, Jesus, even though he was the Son of God, didn't come to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. And Jesus had absolutely perfect status. He had absolutely amazing status. But he had status with the one who it mattered most to have status from, his father, his heavenly father. Because his identity and his status came from being the beloved son. His status came from having acceptance and worth and recognition, security, significance from his position as a son. And so whether he was acclaimed by crowds and crowds of people or whether he was rejected, whether he was loved or whether he was hated, it didn't affect his identity. It didn't affect his... um... Sorry, I've forgotten the word I used. His status. Because he was absolutely secure in the root of who he was. This is who my status is. My identity is as the beloved son of the father. And that is God's also goal for us. That we be so rooted in God's love through Jesus Christ. Through having a relationship with him. Having a daily relationship with him. That the question of whether we have status in the world or not. Whether we have a good identity or not. It doesn't matter but it comes back down to. Um, being known for who we really are and having nothing left to prove. And so I just want to pull it back to Sayosi, COC, and for Roz and Jervis. Because all of us who are parents or grandparents or godparents, whether we're uncles and aunties of children, 
we're going to have dreams and aspirations for those children that we really love. And I know for a little bit, I know of Siosi from this morning, I know some of those dreams and aspirations will be quite sporty, quite possibly, because of their mum and dad. But there's an excitement when you're a parent looking at a small child and thinking, what will they become? What will they grow up to? Uh, and we dream and have aspirations what that will look like. When our son was going through one of his most difficult phases, probably between 8 and 21, um, he, he wasn't talking to anybody. He'd grown his hair very long so they didn't have to see anybody. And there was a lady from the church. I can't see if she's here today. But she said something so encouraging to us as parents not knowing how to manage that. She said, I am so excited. I better not say his name. but I'm so excited to see how your son will grow up. And I'm kind of like, that's really positive. Because somebody else believes in our, in our son. Um, interestingly, when, when we knew that we were pregnant, one of the things I prayed, kind of foolishly, was that he would be a drummer, because we're both musicians. Um, now, 26 years later, he's a semi-professional drummer. Have I regretted that prayer? Occasionally, when he's been practicing, yes, I have. But there's something in the DNA of our children that God himself is saying, and we, as we, as God parents especially, as you pray for those things and pray them out, God hears those prayers. So we have dreams and aspirations for our children, but I think also you will have an even deeper desire that CEOC will grow up to know that he is valued, that he's loved, to know what he's worth. And again, parents of God parents, one of the greatest prayers you can pray is that he would grow into knowing how valued he is by you as parents, but ultimately by God the Father. And because there'll be many things in the world that want to drag him away from that and will want to impact him negatively. And so we pray, and as a church family, we join you in praying for his protection and his growth in knowing how valued, how precious he is, and what a calling God has on his life. And so that applies to all of us, whether we're 18 months or 80. God wants to establish our status as, first of all, being beloved children. We never grow out of that. And out of that, he wants to bring us into all the wonderful things of the calling into the life that he's got for us. Whether that's going to Africa or staying at home or whatever. So let's pray. Father, thank you that um, you do call us to be humble before you. But you also call us to find our status and our identity in you as our Father. We cannot do that on our own. And so we absolutely trust that as we come to you and we develop a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, as we every day come to read your word, to listen to your voice, to let you speak to us, that you will create an identity in us as sons and daughters. And I pray that over COC, that he would absolutely know that he knows that he knows his belovedness, belovedness in God the Father. Amen.